Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the 24th edition of Where They At. My name is Debate Isles, and it's always a pleasure to speak with intriguing guests that have excelled in their particular sports. And this episode is wonderful because I consider this gentleman a friend. Uh, This man has done so much from the standpoint of not just being a prolific basketball player on the court, but also being a wonderful humanitarian off the court. And this gentleman attended the University of Texas El Paso under the guidance of the legendary coach, Don Haskins. He went on to have a 16-year professional basketball career, 13 of those years in the National Basketball Association where he became an all-star and was respected as one of the game's strongest individuals, physically and mentally. He was also (laughs) the president of the National Basketball Players Association, so we have a lot to talk about when it comes to now with the players looking to get back into playing, of course, in the NBA starting up down in Orlando. Uh, But this gentleman also was an analyst for ESPN as well. It's my pleasure and honor to present the great Antonio Davis on the show. How are you, sir? Oh, man, that is awesome. I appreciate that. I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure, sir. And now I always ask my guests when, when, when it starts off, you know, when we start the show, where you at? What you been up to? Man, you know, I uh, recently moved back to my hometown of Oakland, California. And, uh, you know, through a series of, uh, of events, uh, I found myself, uh, let's back up. So 2018, two years ago, I turned 50. Wow. Um, and as you're, as you're turning 50, man, you start thinking about stuff like, you know, uh, how much time have you spent with loved ones and your mom mm. and family? And, and I, I literally moved away from Oakland when I was uh, 19, 20, after I mm. went to college, yes. played overseas for three years. So I was back and forth during the summer. And then once I went to Indiana, uh, I, I, you know, I bought a house there and I would come home periodically, but I never lived here since I was, you know, again, 19, 17, 18, 19 years old. So um, all that time that I missed with family, you know, just mm-hmm. was weighing on me a little bit. So moving back here, man, um, and then the kids were out of the house and, um, uh, marriage was, you know, what it is and kind of falling apart. I just found myself in a place where I just wanted to go home. And it's, mm-hmm. it's been awesome, really, you know, to see some old friends and spend time with relatives, uh, extended family, cousins, uncles, aunts. Uh, I remember going to my nephew's football game that I'd never been to. You know, wow. little things like that just made a big difference. So, I'm really kind of coming into myself uh, as of late, and it's been awesome. Wow, and your mom just retired, too. Congratulations. Yeah, Yeah, my mom has been retired for a little bit now, and, uh, you know, she's had some back problems and stuff like that. So little stuff like taking her to lunch or hanging out on a Sunday, you know, uh, which I I literally have never done before, you know, uh, as a grown man like that. Uh, so it, it's been it's been awesome to be able to do that. Well, here on the 21st edition of Where They At with NBA All-Star 
Antonio Davis. Pleasure to have him on the show for sure. And and Antonio, now um, talk about Coaching Corps, you know, a volunteer mm. organization that provides sports mentors for kids mm. living in low-income communities. And, of course, what's going on with COVID-19 and everything. Schools yeah. have been closed, so kids won't be, haven't been able to get meals. Like, talk mm -hmm. about, like, your work with Coaching Corps and, and how, how that really holds dear to your heart, being from Oakland. Yeah, man. You know, the, the story behind that is um, coming back to Oakland. My first thing was rolling up my sleeves and figuring out where can I ingrain myself into the community? You know, mm -hmm. the one thing I, I knew coming back home, because I see it happening uh, as I was coming back and forth was there was more homelessness. You know, there was more yeah. people in need of basic necessities. So um, I figured, you know, let me start going and um, to some town hall meetings, community meetings. Uh, let me mm -hmm. go and, and listen to the mayor talk and, and go mm -hmm. to the uh, superintendent of Oakland Public Schools, listen to her speak. So yes. I've been having some great meetings with, with people uh, and organizations who uh, have literally been ingrained in my community for a long time while I was gone, to be honest. Wow. And uh, I'm just coming back to them saying, hey, just let me know what I can do. You know, let me know how I could be effective and where I could be effective. And, um, you know, obviously starting with an organization that helps um, uh, and need men to volunteer for youth sports and teaching them how to do that. Yes. You know, I, I felt it was kind of near and dear to my heart because I so many times I, I've seen um, fathers wanting to help their kids by coaching their little league team or the basketball team or soccer team, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. um, and then they get so caught up into winning the game. When to me, there's a bigger picture there. You know, that's the time to teach your kids about perseverance and teamwork and, you know, striving to be the best and things like that, that they're yes. going to keep with them for a long time, no not doubt. win a game that, that they'll forget, you know. Uh, building relationships. So uh, that's where we started at Coaching Corps. And then when this COVID hit and, uh, you know, kind of the recreation center shut down and everybody was kind of, you know, shelter in place, uh, we started talking about uh, different ways that um, they needed volunteers to come out. And one of them was, um, you know, some of the people at the food bank, uh, they were fearful you know, maybe because of their health and whatnot, and they were losing the volunteers that were working at the food banks. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I, I went and sat down with Coaching Corps and just told them, uh, you know, let me, let me just check it out. So I, I went to uh, literally a food bank that was in my neighborhood that, man, I, used, I swear I passed this food bank like a million times. And I would always see them over there um, um, handing out food or supplies. And I never really knew them or knew what, what they were doing. Yeah. And I met this woman who was, I mean, she's, I want to say she's in her late seventies. She's been doing it for about wow. 35 years wow. and, and it's all from her heart. And uh, now her brother's there who's in his early seventies. Oh. And these two people are literally there you know, sun up to sundown, six days a week, um, handing out food, organizing, making calls, keeping track 
uh, leading people. And every day, man, people are dropping food there by the case, by the, by the pallet full of food, you know? Yes. And they have to then now because of COVID, they need volunteers to come in and kind of organize the food in a box because you can't do like you do before and right. just walk through and pick what you want. Right. So uh, I went out there. I tried, I tried to get out there at least one or two times a week. And I was doing that for a while. Um, and then um, I, I, you know, I'm opening up a business. We'll talk about that later. Mm-hmm. And then um, I ran into a guy and, and um, he was talking to me about, the government was going and purchasing a lot of uh, produce from farmers because mm. they were trying to help the farmers out because the farmers were hit because if all the restaurants shut down and other places shut down that, that, that ordered their produce, they were struggling. Right. So the government swooped in, bought all this food, and they started putting out these, uh, these contracts for people to come in and give the food out in certain areas. Mm-hmm. So my guy won one of those contracts and um, he was giving out food uh, everywhere around Oakland. It seemed like, I'm like, yo, what's wrong with Oakland, bro? We can't, <laughs> we can't get no love over here. <laughs> right, so, right. so he uh, had a conversation with him and the last two weeks, uh, I've literally been getting about uh, tw- uh, probably about 25,000 pounds of food Oh, that I've amazing. been giving away wow. um, to different organizations around Oakland, um, different food banks. Um, and, and I thought that there was a need and there was a need before COVID. So you can imagine now yeah, we dig. got more people applying for, you know, um, a federal aid, uh, um, workmen's, all kind of stuff. So Mm-hmm. Uh, we we have to make sure that we we do our part. And the last few weeks, man, have been great. I've been grabbing some young college kids and wow. uh, just literally That's rent right. a truck, rent pallet jacks, and I teach them how to go out and move these. You know, they're they're literally seventy two boxes on a pallet. You know, we have to take the pallet off one truck, put it on the other truck, go to these different sites, and and deliver the pallets and Mm -hmm. learning how to greet people and keep track of stuff. So it's been a, it's been a really good thing. Once again, coaching young people on, on how to get that done, how to get back and how to think more than just of themselves, you know, knowing that everybody needs somebody. And um, that that's been an incredible thing these last few weeks and coaching core has been at the center of that because they know where the need is. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just show up with the pallets of food. We drop it off and we keep it moving. So wow. that, that's how we've been helping as of late. Yes, sir. And it comes back full yeah. circle growing up in Oakland, you know, and, and the yeah. help that the Black Panthers provided for the community. Oh, man. When you were yeah, growing up. Know that. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, and, and, and also to the protests about the war things you, you mm-hmm. grew up in the seventies right where it was there. those times. Yeah. Now talk about how it influenced the way that you became who you are today. You, you know, and the crazy part is, is as much as they say and talk about the Black Panthers and, and all the stuff that they weren't, they were huge in the community. You yes. know, uh, there were so many things that they did um, and you kind of miss it now. And kids don't realize, man, when we were in Park and Rec, 
they had free lunch programs. They had all this other stuff that we could get into that mm -hmm. is just not there now. We often wonder why kids stray off and do all this other things because we don't have anything positive to draw them in. Like right. uh, I went back to my recreation center um, that I grew up in and um, um, obviously they had done some additions here and there and they had a basketball court in there. Um, and Jason Kidd had came in and redid the floor and all of that. Mm, yes. And then I came in behind him and I got a grant from the PA and they, you know, we're in the midst of doing new scoreboards and going outside and doing some other stuff. Yeah. But my point with that is, is um, the programming and the lack of support that the park and rec centers get now, especially in Oakland, I, I think probably across the U.S., um, where kids were able to come after school and knew they had a safe place to kind of hang out, do their homework. That's right. Or they can Positivity. You know, check out a basketball. They can yes. do things that kept them interested and not be sitting there because we know if you got idle time as a kid, man, most times you're going to figure out how to get in trouble. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. <laughs> but, but, but the rec center always gave me a place to um, just kind of explore and dream and, do different things. I was introduced to sports and, and uh, I mean, stuff like sewing and things like that that you never would think are important, but um, it kept me out of trouble, man. It, I know without that recreation center being there, I would not be where I am today. It just, because mm -hmm. there was too much other stuff tugging at me all the time. But, right. uh, you know, there were some men there and women there that, you um, you know, wanted to see you succeed. So they wouldn't allow you to go astray. They always had something for you to do. Come here, sit down and color or go play sports or we got this mm -hmm. program coming up that we're going to keep you in or go get your homework. Come back over here and do your homework. Yes. And, and kids don't have that now. And so uh, I, I'm just about making sure that kids are still able to dream and, and, and have goals and, uh, and, attainable goals. So it's important to get back into community and make sure you support those centers that are giving kids an alternative to doing something negative. Most definitely to that. Wow. Uh, 24th episode of Where They At. My name is Nabatao's here with uh, NBA All-Star and also humanitarian, Mr. Antonio Davis on the show. And now, Antonio, Growing up in Oakland and everything in the Bay Area, who are the cats that you came up with that has made that have made an impact in professional basketball? I know a couple of names yeah, that I have in mind, yeah, which which yeah. you you mentioned one of Jason Kidd and of course Gary yeah. Payton too. But who are the other cats Gary during Payton. the time when you came up you in, know, in that that did their thing? But before I even start, man, uh, Gary Payton's dad and God rest his soul uh, uh, yes. was. Man, Mr. He, mean, Mr. Mean, right? Mr. Mean, Mr. Mean. <laughs> and, and he was, man, but he was so cool. Uh, I, I remember there was a tournament, um, you know, back when we were growing up, there was only one or two tournaments you were going to that were yeah. national kind of AAU tournaments. Right. And on the West Coast, we had this tournament in Phoenix called the BCI tournament. Okay. Only tournament is the only kind of organized sporting event I went to as a kid. Never went to a camp, never went to another tournament, never mm -hmm. went to nothing, bro. 
anything I went to was like a recreation center, you know, had a basketball camp where you were outside for a couple of hours throwing a ball at a basket, <laughs> but I had never been to a camp. And so uh, got to meet Gary and his dad and uh, they were putting together a team to go to Phoenix. Well, you know, I'm excited. I go to my mom and, uh, Obviously, she can't afford it, so she feels horrible, and she's trying to raise the money for me to go or whatever. And uh, I go back and tell Gary and his dad, like, man, I don't, I don't know, man. My, my mom really don't have the money. I, I, if I can work or something, maybe I can try to, because I think it was the tournament's like two weeks or a week and a half. Mm-hmm. So anyway, man, mm-hmm. uh, long story short, Gary's dad took care of everything. I went, and bro, wow. before I even got back home, I had letters from colleges. I had all kind of stuff, you know, mm-hmm. when you look at moments in your life and you say, if this didn't have, just like that, if that recreation center wasn't there, if, if Mr. Mean uh, wasn't there, I, I know my life would just be different, you know, because yeah. that, that one tournament uh, exposed me to all those colleges who were giving away scholarships. Yes. You know what I mean? That, yes. that was my outlet, my one chance. Now, mm-hmm. I, I probably would have done different if <laughs> if I'd have known this is my one and only shot to get a scholarship. <laughs> I probably would have just screwed it up. But, you know, I didn't have no idea. At that time, man, I just I just loved playing. And That's I right. Do everything to let the I game can. come to all you. Out. Let the game come to let you. Let the game come to me, man. And, and it all worked out. But... So it's it's Brian Shaw. Oh, that's uh, right. That's um, right. Isaiah Ryder, you know, Jay Okay, Ryder. yeah, Jay Ryder, of course. Uh, yeah. Uh, and all, and both of them can rap too. Both of them can rap too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brian Shaw and Jay Ryder. <laughs> now we got Damian Lillard. We got Aaron Gordon. Mm-hmm. We got uh we we got we got we got a few guys, man, that have gone to the NBA and uh, made an impact. Lester Connors. Yes, um, right. A uh, few guys, man. So we, uh, I, I, you know, I didn't even realize the history as much of Oakland um, as when I moved away. You know, mm-hmm. as a kid, you would go and say, well, I'm from Oakland, California, and I went to McClymouth High School. And they was like, you went to McClymouth High School? Like, like Bill <laughs> Russell behind McClymouth? Yes, that's like, right. Bill I'm Russell like, went, yes. Paul Silas went to McClymouth yes, High School. Yes, the great Paul Silas. I had, had no idea, bro, until I left. Like, I was now, deep. Now, wow. when, when, I, when I thought back when they said that, their pictures were in the gym. I walked by them every day. Never wow. stops. Like, who are these guys? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And these mm-hmm. are guys that shaped the game of basketball, and I never knew. Um, and I can remember going back one summer, I had a basketball camp there, and I finally stopped, and I read, and I'm like, now that's 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 good stuff right there. Wow. You know, to know that I went to the same high school as freaking Bill Russell, Paul Silas, and some other greats, man. Wow. So, it's been good. It's been good. Yeah, and Gary <laughs> – Gary was always crazy. He he beat us every time he come <laughs> time. He's talking smack the whole time. Oh, back then. <laughs> oh man. And, and junior high. The first time I saw him, he was talking smack. <laughs> it was it was so funny, you know, but we had some good times. GP. Good time. Wow. And and that's mm-hmm. the great and that's the great thing. Like, um, and that's and that's the thing with uh, now it's even worse for for our kids they don't really delve into the history you know and it's a, mm-hmm. and i know mm-hmm. when you go back 
to your your high school and everything, I know you make sure you emphasize the Bill Russells and the Paul Souses. Those are right. NBA champions galore, right. you know. And, right. and and Bill right. Russell, as we know, did more than mm-hmm. you know on the court, you know, for right. sure. Right. So right, and continues to do that. Yes. You're right. Yes, indeed. Wow. Now, Antonio, you ended up going to University of Texas El Paso. And of Mm -hmm. course, the great coach Don Haskins is the coach. Mm -hmm. And and for those, uh, for the listening audience, Don Haskins led the first all black starting lineup to win the NCAA championship in 1966 when the school was called Texas, Texas Western and the film right. glory road, glory road right. was based on, based on right. coach Haskins. Right. Now, um, what was the main factor? Was that, was that history the main factor for you going all the way to El Paso, Texas from Oakland, California? You, you know, um, Tim Floyd, who coached mm-hmm. the Bulls That's coached, right. uh, for yeah. a while. The he Hornets too, me. and Iowa State. Yeah. Iowa State before yeah. that. Yep. Mm-hmm. He he recruited me out of high school, man. He was he came to my house uh, in Oakland, had breakfast, and he was one of the first guys I let in my house. You know mm. what I mean? And wow. made an incredible impression when you talk about uh, learning the game of basketball, like and and getting an education, like. The other four, five, uh, probably had about eight or nine coaches coming to my house, I think. And mm-hmm. of those coaches, he stood out because there was this balance of teaching all the time and not just basketball, but about life. Yes. And then teaching. Uh, and then, hey, you don't know what basketball is going to do for you, but mm-hmm. what we can do for you is teach you the game the right way. And if you learn it the right way, it can open so many doors. You know what I mean? And so that just kind of stuck with me that whole time. And I guess them being the first one and kind of setting those expectations, because I had never had a college coach come to my house. So they kind of set this bar. And there was Mm -hmm. not another coach to come in to talk that balance of teaching and basketball and getting an education and all this kind of stuff. Um, So when it came time time to decide uh, and I go to my visit and I sit down and I talk to Coach Haskins uh, and he followed that conversation with even more of, hey, you know, defense wins wins games and if you can learn how to play D, you can play as long as you want to play yes that's still true to this day day. yes indeed. i I quit playing when i wanted to quit playing and i played there wasn't a time that i i you know once i got to college after that man i played on some usa teams and all that and i don't know if i should have been there or not but one thing i knew is i knew the game of basketball i knew how to defend i knew a lot about and that all came from that foundation of understanding i mean who, who, who i thought don haskin was crazy for having me guard tim hardaway full court with my hands behind that's my right, back that's right your teammate you know yeah yeah, yeah. I'm like, wait a <laughs> third practice so you want me to guard tim hardaway full court with my hands behind my back i mean are you crazy like no i i can't do it but days and days of doing that you get into the nba and when you have to switch out on that quick guard i can keep him in front of me for two or three dribbles i knew that i could you know i knew angles i mm-hmm. knew how to slow guys down when to give them room when to take up space 
So uh, all of that was was just true, and it, it was you know Don Haskins and that whole situation was really a blessing for me, man. It really was. Wow, that's amazing. Yes, indeed. And we're going to talk a little bit about Tim Floyd a little later. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, for sure. And um, but well, now and Tim Hardaway, you and both of you. I mean, playing together, and of course, Tim Hardaway was an instant sensation in the NBA, mm-hmm. of course, with the Golden State Warriors going to yes. Oakland, coincidentally. Yeah, going to Oakland, yeah. coincidentally, yeah. <laughs> So I know yeah. he asked you about, you know, where to go and everything, everything. like that, for sure. <laughs> yeah, 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 it was cool. It was yeah. really, I was happy for him, man. It was mm-hmm. a good place for him to go play. You know, yes, indeed. Uh, Don Nelson kind of opened up the floor and let him go. Yes, yes right. That's what, that's TMC. What he needed, Run you know TMC. I mean? Yep, yep. <laughs> all of them All of them and And uh, now, mm-hmm. what made you – you were drafted in the second round by Indiana. Mm-hmm. What made mm-hmm. you go overseas to Greece and then Italia for three years? What? You know, you know um, to be honest, I just felt like um, – I needed more experience at that level. You know, I really didn't play my first year in college. And then for two years, I had Tim Hardaway, which, come on, man, let's let's just call it what it is. He made the game real easy. You Mm -hmm. know, get to your spot and finish. That's it. You didn't, you didn't. I had to learn many moves and none of that, you know, get to your spot. <laughs> uh, around the rim, around the rim. Around the rim. <laughs> and then my senior year, man, I when he left, uh, I really had to learn how to play, you know. Mm-hmm. And one year to me wasn't enough to go into the NBA where, you know, guys have been um, you know, having those roles for a majority of their lives or their college careers, or whatever mm-hmm. the case may be. I figure I can go overseas. We're going to be practicing twice a day. I was going to be a big part of offense, a big part of defense. Mm-hmm. Um, it was going to give me an opportunity to mature. Um, so um, it, it was really a, a no-brainer after I thought about it, you know, um, having an opportunity to go over there and play. Um, and then that for two years, excuse me, for two years I did that and I came back um, and played in the summer league for the Pacers and uh, and they they kind of the same thing. They were trying to invite me to training camp without a guaranteed contract. And then uh, uh, the team in Italy, who Mike D'Antoni was the coach, isn't that uh, something? My, wow. My third year. So I'm sitting there summertime. I had just played in Greece for two years. I'm like, man, I really want to come back and play in the NBA. And you get a call from Mike D'Antoni saying, hey, you know, we, we got a chance to do something special over here. Come play for a year. Uh, the money was way more than the patients were talking about playing. So uh, way back that third year, man, had, a, had an awesome time learning from him, you mm-hmm. know, uh, uh, really a different style of basketball, getting ready to play in the NBA, you know, teach me how to protect the rim, um, um, catch the ball with my back to the basket and have some options. Yep. Uh, you know, I played with a great point guard, you know, a lot of, we ran a lot of high pick and roll, side pick and roll. Mm-hmm. So he was getting me ready to play. So by the time I got to Indiana, man, I was, I, I knew I was ready to play. There was nothing going to stop me from getting on the floor because I I knew both ends of the court and I knew how to play the game. 
And Coach D'Antoni, he coached the Nuggets, right, before he uh, went out to Italy, he, right? I believe. Yeah, I think he had coached in the NBA a little bit. Yeah. Um, and he played for the team that I played on in uh-huh. Italy. Uh, mm-hmm. It was called Phillips Milano at the time. So he played for the team. So he was back there coaching. And uh, after having a conversation with him, it was a done deal. I was packing my bed, my bags, had him heading back to Italy. Yes. Wow. Wow. Here on the 24th episode of Where They At with Antonio Davis, NBA All-Star Humanitarian. And, and now, Antonio, when you got to the Indiana Pacers and, and you talked about being able to defend and play defense and you joined Larry Brown, Coach Larry Brown, who I had, <laughs> who I had as, as a guest on, on Where They okay. At as well. Yes, indeed. Okay. Coach Brown, cool. Wonder, cool. What, what, what a great time yeah. with him. Um, yeah. But the, you and Dale Davis, y'all, you know, you two provided toughness, provided rebounding, provided basketball IQ as well, mm-hmm. you know, and, and being able to make up the moniker, the Davis boys, you know. So, <laughs> so talk about how that fit, how it was a perfect fit for you to be back in yeah. the end and be under Coach Brown and, and be able to flourish and, and, and help that team become contenders in the mid-90s. Yeah, man. Yeah. Again, you know, I talk about the people that um, were very instrumental in changing my life. And he was one, you know, he gave me a shot to play in the NBA and Mm -hmm. and continue to teach me how to be a professional. And it was so crazy. I can remember we butted heads like all the time. (laughs) I just felt like he was always on me, man. Like, Like no matter what I did, he was just always on me. And so I can remember one time he pulled me to the side and he looked at me and he kind of shook his head. You know how he does. He, he put his head down. He starts scratching his head. He was like, he just, you know, he was looking at me like, you just don't get it. He said, do you see me yelling at everybody on this team? And I was like, well, that's the problem. You're only yelling at me more than anybody. He said, because you know what? When I stop yelling, that's when you should care. Because if I don't yell at you, mm. that means I, I, you know, don't give know, a. I really don't. I really don't care. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and you're not gonna be here very long. Um, and when he when he set me down and talked about that in that manner, I was very appreciative. You know, I took his coaching a whole different way. And you can you hear guys talk about how Larry can just kind of get on you because he's a perfectionist. He's mm-hmm. never satisfied with anything. Um, because, you know, uh, I don't know of a team that's played a perfect game. And as a coach, you shouldn't mm-hmm. be satisfied, you know, until things are perfect and they're never going to mm-hmm. be perfect. So the coach is never going to be satisfied. So to have a coach that cared about every little thing and wanted every little thing to be right, um, if you think about it, that's really the only way to coach. Because yes. at some point in time, it just it becomes about the numbers game. Over 82 games, how close can you get to playing perfect basketball or being the best team That's that right. you can be night in and night out is going to determine how well, how, how good you are, you know, mm-hmm. how good of a team you're going to be. And so um, um, from that perspective, man, I, I always, you know, took what he said to heart each and every day. And when coaches got on me or yelled at me, I, I, I really, I enjoyed it, you know, yes. uh, forced me to ask questions and want to get better, you know, to develop mm-hmm. 
thick skin, you know, right. um, because I, I don't, I've never played a perfect game. And I, and I would assume that until I did, you know, a coach was going to be yelling at me mm-hmm. uh, uh, every time I stepped on the floor. So I thank Larry Brown for all that, you know, he endured while trying to get me to understand that, but it, it was definitely a very valuable lesson. Wow. And, and, and that, that value definitely when those those series against the Knicks and I love the wow. film the Dan Cloris film mm. that the ESPN thirty for thirty about that rivalry yeah. between both yeah. I mean woo nah. <laughs> what nah, what yeah the Knicks the Knicks it's so funny I can remember my first uh, being a rookie and uh, getting ready to go to New York to play in the Garden and asking guys you know Vern Fleming and Reggie Mm. like yo what is it what is it like and uh, I had never been to New York before so I go there and I can remember uh LaSalle Thompson a couple other guys took me Sam Mitchell too right was Sam Mitchell on the team yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) all these guys were hanging out man I I was so blessed to come to a team that had men you know Mm -hmm. like had yes. had families and kids and all of that kind of stuff and had they had been through so much. Uh, mm-hmm. Played in the league for a long time and were professionals about what they did. Um, uh, so, so I can remember going there and and walking around like a tourist, looking at the <laughs> buildings <laughs> oh, and yeah. you know sitting down at dinner, having them guys tell me like, "Look, let me tell you something now, you." You don't go in here and experience some things playing against the Knicks. But, um, don't back down. No matter what right. you do, don't back down. If you got to fight, you fight. That's we'll right. Worry about everything else. You know and we, and they got your back. They got and, your back. And they got my back. You know? <laughs> and sure enough, you know, that I know that first game, man, I felt like I was literally in a fight. Like every time down the floor, somebody was hitting me or running past and nudging me or – you know, there was screens, you know, guards was, was picking. I was like, oh, what is this? You know, man, this is a whole different, you know, refs aren't calling anything. And I'm like, yo, like, what are we doing? You know, But, you know, it forces you to understand that, you know, the refs aren't going to call every single call down the floor. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you have to become a master at how you do what you do. So I learned very early on um, how to provide that that kind of physical presence and toughness mm-hmm. without getting caught because that's the that's the key you know yeah. it's not go out there and be a brute and just knock everybody around but it's like how can I do this and not get caught you know yeah, exactly uh, and, yeah you know it's like it's like Alfie would have said blue chips you know uh, a foul ain't a foul until it's, it's caught foul. you know what I'm saying <laughs> So it was like uh, if if I went into the the third quarter or the second half of the game and I only had like two fouls, man, oh, it was it was on the second half. Mm-hmm. Then I knew, and I can be pretty physical uh, until I got my fourth foul or so. So, um, but 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 basketball was different, you know. So many mm-hmm. people have asked me about playing back then and now and all of that. Uh, it was just a different brand of basketball and you had to be, you know, mentally and physically ready to mm-hmm. play against a Knicks team, yes. which, which taught me so much about, you know, how, how I was going to be effective uh, in the NBA. 
Well, and it must have been gratifying, you know, after 94 losing in seven games, then 95 mm-hmm. winning game mm-hmm. seven in the garden. In yeah. the garden. <laughs> crazy, man. So crazy. I, I, I can remember that, you know, we talked about that. Like, what is it going to take to kind of get over the humps that we had every year? Mm-hmm. So we, we had the Knicks. Um, Orlando kind of came out of nowhere. You yeah. know, Penny, Shaq, and all them mm. was like, whoa, where do these guys come from? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, and then Mike comes back. You know what I mean? Yep. All these other things. And the, and the game he came back, it was against your Pacers. It's against That's I'm Pace. back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm back. You know what I mean? So uh, when I think about those times and our opportunities to win, um, you know, we, we lost to some of the greats. So you can't really – be upset about it it's just kind of what happens when great players stand in the way of you and the championship you have to think back to what was going on and you know uh Shaq is hall of famer jordan hall of famer uh penny should have been penny should have been been. you know patrick ewing hall of famer so Mm -hmm. we we have some hall of famers in our way you know that's Mm -hmm. And most of the times you do, you have to get through one, but we had a Hall of Famer too. But at the time, you know, it just kind of is what it is. You know, yep. you can't take nothing away from no guys. They were great players and great teams. Wow, no doubt. And and Antonio, who who are the cats that 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 uh, I mean, that had that grown man strength back in the '90s that you had the lot that you locked with that were like, oh man, I got to hit you the know, weight room more, you know. And, that, and and there was one every single team had a guy, man. You Ooh. don't understand. Yes, uh, Antoine Carr. Armand Gillian, <laughs> uh, Michael Cage. Yes. Like every team, uh, every team had this guy. Kevin Willis uh, too. Kevin Willis. Kevin Willis. <laughs> Kevin Willis to this day is still <laughs> is still one of the strongest dudes that I ever have faced. You know what wow. I mean? But uh, those kind of guys, man. And uh, it was funny. I was doing an interview the other day. And the guy asked me, said, man, when you came in in 93, 94, it said you weighed 230 pounds. Mm. And I was like, man, coming in the league, I, I, and, and what was so crazy, I gained weight to get up to like 235, 240 wow. going into the NBA. You know what wow. I mean? Mm-hmm. And I was still most nights 15, 20, playing against Shaq, 45 pounds. I was mm. giving up three, four, five inches, you know, a lot of times. You talk yep. to most of these guys are seven-footers, seven-one, seven-two, mm-hmm. you know. So I quickly had to learn, you know, uh, not just being strong, but understanding leverage and yep. being low and, mm-hmm. and when to push and when to not push, you know. Yep. Like all those things were a factor, man. And, and you don't know it unless, unless you're doing it you know, kind of night in and night out. out. And you look at the schedule and you say, you know, oh, we're going to go through uh, Texas or we're going to go through Florida and I'm going to play Shaq one night and Alonzo morning the next night. Mm -hmm. Or you go through Texas, you got (laughs) Yao Ming, 
David Robinson and yeah, some big yeah. stiff in Dallas. <laughs> All within four or five days. Yeah. Like, Come on, man. You know, but that's that's just, you know, that's what it is, man. And you just had to be prepared night in and night out to yep. kind of pull yourself together and go out there and give your team what they what they needed for you guys to win. Wow, Steve and and Antonio, it's interesting. Later in the later nineties, you know, the late nineties, ninety-eight, and of course going into the last dance, you know, the last mm-hmm. dance. The, what was your take on that documentary? Like all the hype around it and everything, but yeah. also your team was prevalent in the dock in ninety eight. Yeah. You know, the Bulls, it yeah, took man. them seven games to get seven by y'all. Games. It was crazy, <laughs> man. I you know. First of all, I think they did a great job with the documentary. There was there was stuff that I learned. I was like, whoa, I didn't know that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. From that perspective of everything that was going on in the Bulls. Because unless you were, at that time, reading the newspaper heavy or watching right. ESPN or the news, you really didn't know every single thing that was going on. That's right. There's no internet. Wasn't no big, internet. No, mm-hmm. none. I, I mean, well, I it was up and coming. Proponent. Up and coming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a big proponent of... <laughs> of watching a lot of TV and all of that, uh, especially Mm. during the playoffs, you know? I was either at practice or spending time with the kids and the family or literally just kind of relaxing, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And I I wasn't, because, you know, TV was, especially during a series, you lose a game, it's the worst, and everything that happened. You win a game, oh, you change momentum and all that, and to me, I wanted to approach each game as if it was just another game and not mm-hmm. what happened the game before. Of course, you know, during the playoffs is different, but uh, uh, so I really didn't know, you know, Scotty this or Michael that, or, or I, I knew that they were talking about breaking the bulls up and all of that. And, but you and know, Tim Floyd was involved. Talk, and Tim Tim Floyd was involved. <laughs> yeah, so it was it was crazy, man. But um, that time was was obviously some of some of the best times I can remember in my career, uh, as far as playing with the Pacers and things of that nature. It was great. Wow! Yes, indeed. And and then you know ninety eight losing the Bulls in seven, and then ninety nine. It was a you know of course it was the lockout, so the season mm-hmm. was short, fifty game regular season, mm-hmm. and it and mm-hmm. it worked out for the Knicks because if it was an eighty two game season, the Knicks would have not been an AFC. We know that no. they would have they no. would have been in the top four, but that right. that series with with that ninety nine Knicks team, you know just mm-hmm. um yeah. you know especially game the end of game three, you know. T- mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now you always say, "Come on, it should have been. It should not been a shooting yeah. foul, right?" Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I was, you know. I was happy. I'm a Knicks fan. I was happy. Yeah, but I'm just, for I'm sure, <laughs> for sure, for sure. You know, I, you know, every time I get asked about that, man, the first thing that comes to my mind is, uh, I just feel like, not about me, but, uh, you know, guys like Reggie, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, feeling like I let that guy down, you know, mm-hmm. that guy who had done so much for me, I let him mm-hmm. down at that point. And that's what ate at me. Not, not necessarily that, you know, uh, uh, I fouled or the foul was called or Larry made the shot or any of that. But after it all happened, it was like, how do you go to Reggie and be like, man, my bad, you know, sorry. You know, I'll make this up for you, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and who who knows 
what would have happened if that foul wouldn't have occurred. You know, nothing's going to guarantee that we were going to win, but we were up four late in the game with a chance to win the game. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? And I knew that, um, you know, we had prepared for that uh, in the lockout. We were, we were playing a lot of basketball together, working out together, staying together. Um, we went through that season ready to, to, to do that. Uh, we knew we kind of matched up well against San Antonio. Mm -hmm. So we, were, we, we knew that there were a lot of good things there. Um, but, yeah, man, I, I you know, I, I screwed that up, you know. Oh. Uh, There's nothing to say about it. And, and not from a point of I screwed it up, but, again, um, recognizing that that was a, a, another pivotal time, you know, in a series where things can – uh, yeah. You know, sort of like Draymond in the in the Golden State oh, Warriors kind of yeah. deal. You yeah. know, things that change the series around. You look for moments in the series where things change, and I think that was one of the moments in that series that kind of changed things around. But you know what? You, the Pacers won Game Four. You know, in that series, yeah. and and then that sure. game, and then Game Five. You know, it was just it just it wasn't your you know what i mean like you guys it's not you no, know right. you know it's you know basketball is crazy like that man mm -hmm. you know what i mean mm -hmm. sometimes you just feel like man it just wasn't our time like no matter mm -hmm. what we just wasn't right we it, it wasn't it wasn't meant for us to be there you you don't quite you can't quite put your finger on it but um i i, I don't think we we left out of there feeling like we hadn't given our best. Mm -hmm. you know, I right. think, if anything, we felt like we let an opportunity slip away, um, and and we didn't we didn't capture a moment where where we should have uh, we should have capitalized on our situation, and we just did. So mm -hmm. it was all good. And Coach Bird, how was that? You know, a legendary player being a head coach, and he, you know, no experience as a head coach, but but he was successful those three years. He was he there. He, he, <laughs> he really was, man. He he uh, he brought some great things to our team, and mm. um, I, I know personally, I may have my own story, but at the end of the day, uh, I think he provided the Pacers and that team with kind of the guidance we need during certain times uh, to get over you know, a very tough hump. You know, mm -hmm. we, we go into New York and we lose. Uh, and he come in there and, you know, get your head up. Like, we still got games to play. We still got opportunity, you know. Mm -hmm. As long as we got opportunity and we're not out of this thing, uh, we always got a shot, you know. Mm -hmm. So you can you, – you have an appreciation for that uh, in those moments. Uh, so you just got to – you kind of just got to roll with it. And it, wow. it was good, man. I, I – I learned a lot from all of this stuff, man, you know, get, getting, getting to those next few years in Toronto, going through all of that, that I went through really kind of helped me with a lot of different situations. And, and that's you know? what I wanted to ask you about, uh, you know, the fact that the team then makes the finals the year mm -hmm. after they traded you for a high school mm -hmm. player, Jonathan Bender, which mm -hmm. he didn't mm -hmm. turn out. Now, uh, how upset were you that you were like seeing them in the finals? Like, Wow, I'm not there. But then also uh, you got vindication. You became an all-star, became yeah, became a focal yeah. point in the offense. Yeah, and yeah. Bender didn't work out for them. You, you know, I let me say this first of all. I think we mutually agreed to part ways. I don't okay. think it was okay. Indiana said, 
hey, we're going to trade you. Uh, and I don't think I went in there demanding a trade. We had a conversation, Donnie Walsh and I had a conversation at the end of the season uh, that centered around, you know, hey, Donnie, as I look at my contract and I see that I have an opt-out, I'm thinking about just strictly business, um, um, a starting forward makes X and a guy coming off the bench makes Y. Am I always going to see myself in a position where um, I'm going to be coming off the bench? Like, am I going to ever have a chance to start? Mm. You know, because the last contract we signed, I get, you know, seven years, 35. They'll automatically get seven years, 42 without question. And I'm not saying he didn't deserve it. Mm. I'm just saying, you know, as soon as I sign this, he signed that. So am I going to go through the next phase of my career knowing I may only have one more shot to be a free agent and all this kind of stuff? Uh, uh, what do I want to do? So I'm expressing this to Donnie and Donnie said, Hey, you know, I understand, you know, we never, we've never seen you as a guy off the bench. We tried to show you our appreciation. Um, um, but I, I, I do hear what you're saying. Um, so that summer, you know, Bill Duffy, who's my agent, is calling me and just saying, hey, well, what do you think about this? Donnie and I are having conversations. They want this draft pick. Uh, what do you think about being traded? Uh, and um, uh, of course, you know, I'm, I'm like, you know, Toronto, I don't know, man, you know, but given the opportunity to go there and be a starter um, and, and then, and then see the young what I can do. And the up and coming star in the league team, there. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So I just felt like it was it was a great opportunity for me. Uh, and then as far as seeing those guys in the finals, man, I was I was super happy. All those were my guys, you know. Only thing I was I was upset about was, um, you know, one, not experiencing being in the finals. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, and then two, I'm not saying that I would have changed the outcome. I know that my presence would have had an effect on what happened, though. That's you know, right. A, another body pushing Shaq and understanding right. at that time, you know, uh, and nothing against Sam Perkins or anybody else. But I, I, I knew that I had a presence um, with, you know, being on the floor with him. You know, that's all. I, I'm, I'm not saying things would have even changed. Mm -hmm. I just knew that Dale and I, you know, at times – you know, uh, game plan and we can switch off and we can do That's different right. things to slow him down uh, and still be effective in other areas. And, and without that, you know, um, I think that team was different. Uh, but I, I wasn't I wasn't in any way upset about them being in the finals. And I think I, I went to a game probably. Like, I think the first game, they played back in Indiana. I went to that uh, game. Game know, three. Show that game three. Show that appreciation for them and where they were and all that kind of stuff. So nah, I wasn't I wasn't mad or upset at any time. Oh, and 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 now talking with Antonio Davis on the twenty fourth edition of where they at. My name is Nabataz Antonio, NBA All-Star, great humanitarian, also former president of the National Basketball Players Association, which you're going to talk about a little bit later. But AD, 
Um, you know what? It's funny how you talked about all the people that helped you learn how to play the game and be a professional. And you became that vet for those young players like Vince Carter and Tracy McGrady in Toronto. And also in Chicago, the Bulls made the playoffs for the first time since 98 when you were there. You were, I mean, you had Ben Gordon, Luel Dang, Tyson Chandler, oh, Eddie Curry Eddie when he was Curry, balling. Yeah. You know, yeah, and yeah. now talk about how you paid it forward from the knowledge you yeah. got and how you were able to be their vet and be able to have them grow because they, you, you were still in winning situations. No, it was, man. You know, um, going to Toronto was literally perfect for me. On one end, I had I had Kevin Willis. I had uh, and Oak- Charles Oakley. Right. I had the two of them. <laughs> um, and then I had some younger bigs that was there with me. And then I had up-and-coming kind of superstars, you know. So I was surrounded by this great mixture of guys. And we went about it every day. You know, those guys giving us that energy we needed. We giving them that knowledge, that experience that we had. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, we made some, some great things happen there. Uh, and then going to Chicago, man, was literally like, uh, you know, show up and, and show by my actions. You know, come to practice yes. early, uh, stay late, uh, work on my game. Uh, talk to them about, you know, doing the little extra things that make you a pro. Um, uh, don't come here in, in your sweats and, and you know, take a shower before you leave. I mean, mm-hmm. it was all kind of stuff because these kids were coming out of high school. Chandler and them was yeah. a year yeah. or two in by the time I got there. They were still, you know, 19, 20 years old. Wow. Um, you know, I was, you know, 12, 13 years older than some of these guys when I got there. But they were a great group, man. Mm-hmm. They, they worked their tails off and, um, um, and, and did everything we asked them to do. Uh, and, yeah, it, it, it worked that we got, we got to the playoffs. Unfortunately, we ran into age of zero. Yeah. Ooh, <laughs> we yeah, put that right. bang on. <laughs> but uh, but, but it, was, it was a great time, man. I think those guys learned a lot from being in that experience. And, uh, you know, obviously we, we know what happened with the rest of those guys. But it was a, it was a great uh, learning experience for me, too, you know, uh, being in a position of, of having the experience and being a vet and, and, and kind of doing leading by example, making yeah. sure that I did everything that I could each and every day to kind of, like you say, pay it forward. Cause when I got to the paces, that's what they taught me how to be a professional. And yeah. I hope that those guys kind of feel the same way about what I did while I was there. Oh, there's no question. I mean, the pros yeah. that Luel Dang became, Luel Dang, of course, mm-hmm. T-Mac, of course, Vince, mm-hmm. and of course, Tyson Chandler become a, become an NBA yeah. champion, you know, so I, yeah. I'm sure yeah. they, 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 <laughs> they truly respect and, and truly remember yeah. uh, the tutelage you gave them, for sure. And, uh, mm-hmm. and now, and, a, and AD, you know, there was a thing, and it was in Chicago, coincidentally, when you, you know, when you went into the stands, and I was a little bit mm-hmm. after um, mm-hmm. after the, the malice, unfortunately, malice mm-hmm. in the palace. But, but you, I, I could tell when it happened, you had, your intentions were not like that. You know what I mean? But, nah. but you know, nah. but, but tell, talk about how you learned from that experience and thank mm. goodness it didn't turn out to be because you know right. these fans, you know right. what I mean? Yeah. They could go take yeah, it too no. far. 
It was, um, it was crazy, looking for a lawsuit. Man. You know what I mean? You know, what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> you know so uh, here it is. Uh, I, I'm in uh, in Chicago, mm-hmm. and I talk to them about, hey, this is my last year. I'd love to kind of uh, retire in Chicago. I don't know if I'm going to play after this. And then they trade me in training camp. You know, I get traded. So to the, I'm, to I'm the right Knicks, there. I'm salty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm super salty right yep. there, you know. And so um, I get to New York. Larry Brown's the coach. I buy in, mm-hmm. you know. I'm like, okay, whatever. Uh, I'm, I'm going I'm to do my best. Larry, you know, he wanted you there. Do. He wanted you there. He did. <laughs> and I, didn't, I had no idea he and Isaiah were buttonheads at the time. You know, I, I, I just was like, come on, man. This is awful. So um, so we, we come back to Chicago. Um, my kids are there with their, with their basketball team. So my wife and my son, and he has a couple friends sitting here. And then my daughter and about six of her friends are sitting over here. Mm-hmm. And um, I noticed that, you know, because every time my wife and kids are at the game, I kind of keep an eye on them. You know, mm-hmm. just you just kind of know, right. you know. Yeah. And yeah. so uh, time out, uh, something happened. Uh, and I looked up there and I can see that she's turned around and she's talking to this guy. And from my perspective, you know, she's she's kind of reaching and he's, he's reaching. And I felt, I thought I saw maybe him grab her. Mm-hmm. And only thing I can see is if she snatched and he let go, she's going to fall. Like I'm, and I'm just, I'm just nervous. So before I could even think like what to do, like, Hey, go trial security that something's going on. I had jumped up on the thing. Yeah, and right. up in the chair. <laughs> yeah. And I did it. And I looked around like, oh crap! Like I, I, I'm not supposed to be up here. This is all bad. <laughs> I like this is all bad. This is all bad, you know. <laughs> and uh, at that point, I started to just punch him just because I knew it already. Some, all kind of stuff went through my head, man. I was like, oh man. And at the time. Um, I'm like interim interim PA president. It's like it's yeah. crazy. It's crazy, bro. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, so I'm just like, oh man. I I I just go up there and like, babe, are you okay? She was like, what are you doing up here, boy? <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> so I go back down and I'm like, oh man. I, after the game, I just had my head down, man. Like I am so sorry, bro. God. I don't even know what happened. You know, wow. I was just up before I knew it, man. It was, I, I don't even remember jumping up on that thing and running up there. The only thing wow. I remember is I saw it, I took off and I was up there. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't, I don't, if you ask me, you know, did I jump up? Did I jump over? Did I walk around? I don't remember. I, I saw it on video, mm-hmm. kind of how it happened. But I, I, at the time, I just didn't even. Wow. But it's all good. It's all good. You know, no, no I, doubt. Thank God. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. No, that's for sure. And Coach, it could have been much worse. Because, you know, Coach much. Coach yeah. Brown was coaching Detroit during that. Yeah. Did he say something? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to we laughed. We laughed about it after I came back, you know, off of off my suspension or whatever. We, we laughed. And he oh, yeah. was like, 
man, I'm so glad you didn't do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been all bad. I was yeah. like, man, it, right. it, it could have been really bad. But it was all right. Wow. No, no doubt. No, th- yes, indeed. Thank God. And, and, and now you said you were interim president of the PA mm-hmm. of the National Basketball Players Association. Talk about the challenges of that. <laughs> yeah, know? man. You know, it's, it's one of those things, man, where through the years, I, I really learned about uh, the business of basketball mm-hmm. and, and how uh, the PA and the NBA have to come together and agree on an agreement, you know, where players get this, owners get that, the responsibility of the players, the responsibility of the owners, mm-hmm. um, and how all that works to keep this engine kind of going. And when you look back at the history of the game and all the players that sacrificed for me yes. and all the things that they had to go through. That's right. Uh, uh, you, you feel like you have a duty to step in and, and fight, you know, to keep that thing going, to make it better for the next group of guys mm-hmm. and the next group of guys. And mm-hmm. so um, I, I can definitely say that I did my part as far as that is concerned with kind of leaving the game better than when I got it. Yep. Um, and and doing all that I can to fight for uh, a lot of different things. You know, right. we we have, uh, 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 you know, kind of, uh, we, we made some marks. I, I'll just put it that way. And, yep. and little things that, that I'm taking advantage of now. You know yes. what I mean? Yes, sir. So, so, you know, having health care and all of those things that people never think of until you, you're retired or you're out of the game mm-hmm. um, are things that, you know, we constantly kept in mind and, and we're trying to fight for along with getting a bigger piece of the pie. So, um, and then you have the gamut of guys, you know, you have guys that are just coming in, you have veterans on this end, you have superstars, you have guys in the middle and you, you just kind of have to figure you're not going to please everybody. You know, uh, you just take the majority of the guys. And at the time, I think we were kind of fighting for that middle class because we knew superstars were going to get whatever they were going to get. And if we can Mm -hmm. create this middle class and put more guys in that middle class, then we move the minimum number up. We create this middle class. The top guys may have to sacrifice a little bit, but you knew they were going to make it up off the floor. So you really weren't you know, as much worried about those guys. So um, I, I was, I was, uh, it, it, it is tough, but I think the association does a good job with the time, you know, while you're playing that you have to be on calls or, you know, check in with the executive director or understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I would hate to be Chris Paul right now today. I mean, yeah, because um, you know, there's his, his old personal situation and then trying to fight for the guys and then mm-hmm. trying to wear, wear that hat and be kind of everywhere doing everything is, mm-hmm. is a very difficult situation, you know, because if you, if you take that job, you know, and it ain't like you're getting paid for it. You're really yeah. doing it because that's what's in your heart and you yes. care enough about everybody in the game and you want to be able to impact that. So, um, you know, I, I tip my hat to him, you know, for, for uh, 
all that he's done over the last few years because he's been very instrumental yes. in helping former players, current players. That's right. You know, putting some things in place that will and forever the, be there. And the NBRPA, uh, the Retired Players Association. Helping them out yes, too. Yeah. Yes, that, yeah, con- he, that he's connection. He's done a lot. Yes. He and Michelle Roberts, man, they've, they've done a great job. So I, I really tip my hat to, to the things that they've done. And Michelle Roberts, I think she's moving on from the MBPA. Yeah. What, what are your thoughts yeah. on that? She should stay longer. Like, what's up? You know? Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I have an interesting thing with that. So after, um, after I finished at ESPN, mm-hmm. they hired me to come in and start a program to help guys transition out of the NBA. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm putting that together and I'm excited about it. And uh, uh, long story short, because I I don't want to go into it. Long story short, I just felt like I was too close and connected to understanding what that meant to do it without having this emotional attachment to what I was doing. Right. Okay. Because I think from from the PA's perspective, from the NBA's perspective, this was about a program that we were putting together to assist guys, you know? Right. And to me, it was about a, a process that, we, that, that I had to teach guys to go through because there's these grieving stages, you know what I mean? Yep. When you lead the NBA, man, it's an emotional roller coaster, right? Yeah. So I can't yeah. say that I'm going to put together this uniform program that everybody's going to go through and benefit. I have to put together a process that allow guys to come in when they want to, or, or get help when they're ready Mm -hmm. or reach out when they want to, or check on them if that's what they want. You know, I'm, I'm putting all these things in place because everybody's going to retire differently. Mm -hmm. You know, some are going to walk away on their own merit you know, quit because they just tired or their yeah. body's beat up or they just don't want to play. Other guys just didn't get another job and they was, they were out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, other guys had injuries, career-ending injuries where they just didn't play anymore. Right. Some guys were blackballed. Uh, yeah. uh, guys were going through a divorce or something when they, when they were leaving. Like, there was – I heard all these different stories. So you can't tell me about a program you have to tell me about a process that yes. guys, we're going to bring guys in or we're going to have these resources there. So when they need things, they know they can come to us. Uh, and we don't get me wrong. We definitely as a program want to put together a roadmap that says, Hey, these are some things you can consider as you are retiring or, or transitioning out. You know, we, we hated saying retiring because mm-hmm. guys were so young. You were just transitioning to something else. You were going to create a new us curve where you started here as a kid playing ball. Now you're a grown man with a family. Hopefully you saved your money. What do you want to do next? Mm -hmm. That that next phase of your life, we wanted to help you create that. And um, I just think that there was a lot of red tape and stuff that was going on that got in the way of the work. Um, So I, I graciously just kind of bowed out and said, hey, maybe I'm not cut out. <clears throat> to do this because I'm too mm. close to it myself, you know, learning mm. things that I needed for myself. So, but it was a great experience. I'm so appreciative. They gave me the opportunity. 
Um, um, they're doing some great, and the Players Association is, is doing some great work, man. Yes. Thinking on Same. another level of how to help their players. Young players are different today, so you mm-hmm. have to help them differently. That's right. They need different resources and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So the, 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 the association is constantly evolving into more of this kind of mentorship and place for young players to come and learn how to be mature professionals and, and the association is going to assist you in that. So I'm very proud of the work that they're doing right now. Wow. No, that's, that's interesting. Cause it's, because what you were saying is because everyone is different. Great coaches don't treat everyone the same. You know what I mean? That's a great teacher. Don't. don't do right. that. You know, it's band right. leaders, whatever, you know? So it's like, yeah, it's, there's no way. Mm-hmm. There's no way. No way so coaches will have a process of dealing with players, mm-hmm. not just one way. Not, they, they may create a, um, a culture, you mm-hmm. know, right. around That's how right. they're going to do things. So players can know how to delve into that culture. How to delve in that culture and mm-hmm. what to expect. And, you know, you learn how to help them and different things. And, and again, I just, I don't know. I, I just, I got too attached, man. Cause I, yeah. I heard oh. too many, like, I start interviewing guys that I played with and hearing their stories and we're connecting saying, you was going through that too, man. I was sitting there crying, you know, about like not even understanding, like what am I crying for? Life is good. I got my health. I saved my money. My kids are healthy. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm living in a, a nice neighborhood. I'm giving to my community. I'm helping my family. Like, what do I have to complain about? Yet I feel so empty. Yet I feel so worthless. Yet I feel so whatever, you know? Wow. And so how do you help guys get out of that space? You know, it's is it yeah. therapy? Is it um is it is it putting something else in front of them that tugs at their heart? Um so there there was just a lot of factors that, that went into that and I just felt like I was too emotional to deal with it. You know? Wow. Well, and speaking of 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 emotions, what's going mm-hmm. on with 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 our brothers, you know, and what's going mm-hmm. on with the struggle and what we're doing, our brothers and sisters, and the struggle yeah. of what's going on in Black Lives Matter and making sure yeah. that things must change. Now, yeah. the current MBPA, there's a lot of disconnect right now. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some mm-hmm. players mm-hmm. that you know, led by Kyrie Irving, that are looking to you know, looking to not be a part of the NBA bubble and everything. And, and then, you know, and then you have players that want to play. So there's kind of like a disconnect. And do you think that's something that, that you feel that could really affect the infrastructure of the MBPA as time goes on, even past the seat, if the NBA season ends in October, do you think it could even linger on with what's going on? And, and uh, another part of that question too, LeBron James, you had some, things to say about LeBron not really speaking mm-hmm. out but I knew what you meant from the standpoint of like yeah. it's time for King James to maybe be like boom this is what it is we need to be together right. that's it you know like right. Patrick Beverly alluded to in his tweet. right 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 because I, I don't think he understands um, his voice like and, and and the other thing for me it was I, I didn't want to um, come across as if I was saying he had to do it right then and there. <clears throat> do it when you're ready, because he's proven that he says very thoughtful, insightful, intelligent things. 
and maybe the one time he didn't, he apologized and said, Hey, I didn't, I didn't say that right. Let me, let me rephrase that. Let me apologize for that. Yeah. The China, and let's China talk situation. About that, mm-hmm. The China yep. situation. Mm-hmm. So, um, um, I, I'm an admirer of the way he handles. So while you're saying there's this uneasiness going to me, it was simple to come out, choose the right platform, you know, and he has his own platform, you know, yep. uninterrupted, TV, yeah, uninterrupted and just say, Hey, there may be some things going on amongst the players. Um, but let me tell you, what we should be thinking about, right? Mm -hmm. Just from his perspective, whether he does it or not, when he does it, it's it's in my opinion that some of these players who are easily persuaded to a Kyrie Irving and, hey, we don't want to play because of whatever, needs to hear some balance of, hey, we need to play Mm -hmm. because there's ramifications of us not playing. If we don't play, they can open up, they can tear this CBA up and start all over. You dig. They could, they could, you know, there's, there's a trickle down effect of, you know, now all of a sudden we don't have these young African-American males with that were, you know, making over a couple billion dollars to then go back into their communities after we figure out what's needed. So mm. let's just say that this movement brings upon change and we have these companies come in and they're saying, okay, we're ready to infuse some capital into the community. How do we do it? Um, mm-hmm. And if we don't have our young brothers, our young MBA brothers in these communities with a voice saying, hey, I did this, I, I helped this small business, or I build this small business, or I helped build this community, or hey, we need food over here, we need this. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. you take that away, then what do we really have? You know what I'm saying? Yes. So, yes. so I get what Kyrie was saying about, hey, I don't, there's, there's something going on bigger than basketball, and I don't wanna take the spotlight off of that. Because as soon as we start playing, just because we haven't been playing, the spotlight is going to come on to the NBA into this bubble, right? Yep. But my yep. thing is, is well, now you control the platform, you control the spotlight. Mm-hmm. Now you really got a voice that you can use, uh, and the only thing you do now is just make sure the NBA doesn't muffle it. You know yeah. what I mean? So right. if you want to take a knee during the national anthem, if you want to wear a T-shirt uh, on the bench. If you mm-hmm. want to talk about it after the games and before the games, then they shouldn't stop you from doing that, period. That's mm-hmm. what the conversation has to be about. I, I, I compare what, what Kyrie was saying to, you know, protesting and looting. Like, why would you protest for change and then loot? Like, come mm-hmm. on, man. Yeah, right, That's right. defeating the purpose, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yes. So if we got this opportunity to play and make money and bring the spotlight to us, why wouldn't we do it? Why would we say, no, we don't want that spotlight? Right. Like I, we have to do our part. If we're not on the floor and not, not bringing attention, then what are we? But a bunch of tall, six, nine, intelligent men with no platform. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I get what Kyrie was saying, 
but there's another way to do it. Um, don't go out in the media against your association. You're the VP, bro. Talk to Chris Paul about it. Uh, voice that opinion. Mm -hmm. Y'all come out with a statement that says, listen, you know, um, some of us don't want to play for the reason that we're experiencing this social injustice and we're experiencing this system, system, uh, this racism, systemic racism. Mm -hmm. So we feel we don't want to play, but we understand playing is the best way to put forth our strong message. And we want everybody to know that if you walked one step and you protested, if you kneeled, if you had a t-shirt on, if you did whatever, we're gonna do everything that we can to make sure we keep that message going these few months that we're playing and after. That's you right. call Steven Jackson and you tell him, listen, bro, I know you don't think maybe we should play and all of that, mm -hmm. but we're gonna build this platform and invite you in That's to right. tell us what's going on. How can we do, how can we make sure that this message continues to be put out there? That's, that's creating solutions, not shutting down and saying you're not going to play. Now, there's always a time to not play, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. if, if they're trying to pull a wool over your eyes in the collective bargaining and right. you have to lock out or something like that, then mm -hmm. okay, don't play. Or if you had a Donald this Sterling situation, situation that, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? Mm -hmm. But this, this is not one of them times where you don't play. That's, wow. that's not the best thing to do. No, no doubt about that. No doubt about yeah. that. Wow. Here yeah. with um, 24, 24th edition of Where They At yes. with Antonio yes. Davis, <laughs> NBA All-Star and also yeah. former president of the National Basketball Players Association. Now, AD, um, it's interesting, like the protocols of Orlando. And mm -hmm. I mean, that bubble is it's kind of like a sci-fi movie or something like that. It like, is, is there, is, is there, is there anything? I mean, what, what is your take on the restrictions? Any restriction that stands out as something that you're adamantly for and against? You know, first of all, let's be realistic. There's nothing that I think they're going to do to eliminate all risks. Mm -hmm. As you said, there's no possible way, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if the goal is to minimize risk, then um, I have to trust that the NBA, the PA, and all of the consultants and people that they brought in to put these protocols together is what's best for me, for my family, for my teammates, and everybody that's going to be in and out of this bubble, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And And that's where... I have to have that faith, right? Yes, yes. So I, I, I don't know that I would get caught up into um, every little thing. I would be more concerned with if these protocols are in place, as a group, are we going to follow them to the T? Like, are we gonna do what they tell us to do is the question, yeah. right? Because yep. they can lay out the best plan yep. to eliminate everything. Yeah, the and players the guys are like, man, I don't care about Ex that. Or, right, you know right. What I mean? mm -hmm. like, whatever, man. I want my, oh man, I want my pieces up. And, like, yeah, I want to go to Tampa, Tampa, to Ebor City. To you know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, 
So if, if that's the attitude that they're going to take, it doesn't matter what protocol that they're going to put in place. Yeah. You know, um, I, I know that Adam Silver, uh, uh, Michelle Roberts, Chris Paul, uh, everybody's thinking about the ramifications of if they have an outbreak in that bubble, that could be the worst thing that could happen. Oh my so God. you mean to tell me that they're not going to have these processes and the, all these things that we have to do, they're not going to eliminate people who are, you know, are at high risk. They're going to do everything that they can. And, 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 and the last thing I'll say about this is this is all new. It's mm -hmm. not like we, this has happened before. So we mm -hmm. got to give them a little leeway to say, Hey, you know, every day they check in and say, Hey, this is what we found. These are the adjustments that we made. These is the, this is the help we need from the players. We have made adjustments to the staff each and every day. Yes. You know, uh, I think it's going to be a process. I don't think they're going to put one thing in place on the first day and it's going to look the same on the last day because, mm -hmm. you know, teams are going to be eliminated out of the bubble. That's right. You know They'll I mean? get to leave. Yep. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, if families are coming, are they coming and staying? Are they able to go in and out? Like, it's 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 gonna be a little bit of a mess you know yeah. but but i have to trust you know that the people in charge um unlike the leaders of the free world the people in charge mm -hmm. are gonna do what's best for everybody that's gonna be in that bubble and and it's and with those and with that protocol that should have the players set an example for everyone else in society that's gone to the beaches without mask on and everything right. like that. The right. players could show an example. They're, they're visible. Show an example right. that, hey, I'm going to follow these because I don't want to affect my teammate. That's my, my brother. Teammates. I don't want to affect right. my coach. I don't want to affect any, a, staff that, a staff worker that's there that's working hard and they have to follow the guidelines as well as I do. And they make so much less money than I do. Like, I have to respect that person, too. Whatever protocol they, they put in place, players have to make sure that they do their part. You That's know, right. And being extremely diligent about what they do and how they do it, you know, mm -hmm. and, and allow the other officials uh, outside of, of the bubble or inside of the bubble to, to create this bubble effect, you know, mm -hmm. that's going to keep them safe. So it, it's 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 gonna be tough, man. But I think I think if you were gonna do it, this was eliminating as much risk as possible. Right. Absolutely. And and Anto yeah. and Antonio, like it's interesting. The New York Knicks, twenty nine NBA teams, each all of them acknowledge Black Lives Matter. All of them acknowledged it, you know, and then the Spurs didn't put out a statement, but Greg Popovich, he's the Spurs. He's San Antonio Spurs. So that right, counts, right, you know, right, but, right. but you played with the Knicks and everything and, and you see that they had an internal email saying about no one's to say anything. And then they are still not acknowledging the injustice that's going on. What is your take about, especially New York, it's, it's the, you know, it represents the most culture in, in yeah. the country. Like, what, what is right. your take on, on the Knicks? Yeah, man, I think, uh, you know, when, when we talk about protesting and we're talking about change, um, the Knicks have shown time and time again that um, 
you know, they, they aren't running that organization in the best for fans or, you know, maybe even people in general, you know, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I think everybody has a right to, um, you know, as a company for you to put out that email and say, you know, don't say anything. Um, and then you ask people who work for the Knicks and I'm not telling anybody to quit or put their jobs in jeopardy or anything like that. But is it time to going into that organization in general and do some things to create some change, you know, mm-hmm. because if, if I am, you know, GM president or anything, and all of a sudden you telling everybody don't say nothing and I'm a man of color, I, I have a huge problem with that. Yeah. You know, we, we don't have a huge problem with that. You know, yes. um, we can give some guidelines as to what can be said, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. to tell everybody don't say nothing, now you're telling me I can't have an opinion, I can't have a voice to something that may, like what if I had a brother who was killed by a policeman you know, or something like that. I'm, I'm supposed to not say nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, what if I knew George Floyd personally? I, I'm, right. I'm supposed to go there and not say anything? Like that's, that's just, but that just goes to show you where the, where the Knicks, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, um, and, and, I, and I hate that, man, because I'm sure not everybody in the Knicks uh, are tight-lipped and, and not, you know, I'm sure a lot of them wanted to say something you know, but after receiving an email like that, what are you supposed to do other than, you know, keep a tight lip and keep it moving? Not unless you start looking for a new job. Mm. So uh, it's unfortunate, man, that, you know, I consider New York like the Mecca, you know, yeah. uh, playing in the garden yeah. is an unbelievable experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so to have that not be the center of, you know, hey, this is where change is going to happen and start uh, is very unfortunate. And I think, you know, management, ownership, all of that, you know, need to look at um, the benefits of not jumping on the bandwagon, but allowing the New York and the Garden and, and the Knicks to be bigger than just the game. You know, obviously they, ain't, they haven't done much on the court in a long time. Yeah. So what yeah. what more can you do now to boost, you know, your your franchise? But again, I mean, even though they're not winning, fans are still going. They're still spending money. They're still going to watch the Knicks. So mm-hmm. what's going to force them to do something different? Right. You know. But these are the questions that that I think the guys that are going to be playing have to now start asking. You mm-hmm. know. Why are the Knicks doing what they're doing? Why is this happening? Why is that happening? Asking these big companies, well, are you spending money in our community? I know we yes. spend a ton of money on your products. Mm-hmm. Are you spending money in our community? Mm-hmm. Like we have to start asking those type of questions. And if they say no, and we can see that they are not, then we have to go buy other products. That's we right. have to go take our spending power somewhere else. Because that, that's the only, not the only, but that's one thing that will force some change. Because as soon as we get the capital, as soon as we have the ability to do some of those things, then we can't, uh, <laughs> we cannot, uh, we can't do the things that we need to do. Because at the end of the day, our, our communities are going to need capital. 
You know, we're, we're going to need programming. We're going to need uh, 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 bright people to That's come right. in. Education. Some of stuff. Education. Education. Uh, training. Uh, and and I, I don't know if, if just defunding the police is the answer. You know what I mean? We mm -hmm. need police. We just need good police. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, how, how do we do that? Um, so I think when whenever someone comes up with a plan for how this change is going to come about, uh, we're going to need an influx of capital and support for some of these major companies that we've been paying into heavily mm -hmm. for a very long time. And if we don't get it, then we need, we, we, we not only have to, you know, uh, uh, rally and march and hold up signs and kneel and all of that, Mm -hmm. We have to take control of, of our, our spending power and our buying power and tell them we're not going to, things are not going to be the way that they were before. That's right. We're going we're gonna to force you to do something different. That's um, right. And if that's the way that we're looking at things and we're going to show up at the polls in droves and we're going to vote differently, you mm -hmm. know, we're, we're going we're gonna to make sure that you understand that we mean business this time. Mm -hmm. and we're not going to stop until we see some change. I think this is a perfect time to understand that now that we have uh, their attention and mm -hmm. whoever they are, um, we need to 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 turn up the the turn up the sound. Uh, we need to stomp louder. We need to shout louder. We need to take advantage of of their attention. You know, if we're going to get some prominent people in the world. Uh, and not just in the United States, uh, across the world, to 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 pay attention to what we're saying now. Then we have to follow that by action and telling them what it is exactly that we need. Mm -hmm. We can't just sit up there and be loud with the voice saying, "Hey, we want change." We got to tell them what does change look like, and yes, if sir. change, if an example of change meaning, "Hey, defund the police and start all over." and putting some new, some new rules for these police, then yes. that's showing them what we mean by change. And augmented you know, the so training, the training, uh, you know, training, like the rules, years of training. Yep. Every, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Years of training, you know, and, and get some other, you know, it, it's not all criminals, man. It's, it's, you know, some people have mental health challenges, some, people are angry about this and about that. There's mm -hmm. a bunch of things that go on. And I don't think the answer is always pull out a gun and kill somebody. You know? Yes. Right. Um, there has to be something in between that, you know, it's either, you know, this latest thing in Atlanta, like this man was just sleeping in his car and now he's dead. Like, come on, bro. Like, what is that? Like, right. is that the world we live in today? Mm -hmm. You know? So, uh, so much to digest there, man. But uh, thank you for letting letting me rant a little bit. It's oh just, no, that's all right. Just one of those things. <laughs> that's all right. No, no doubt. And and uh, and and speaking of of the bubble, going back to the bubble, do you see that we we knew the the three favorites: Bucks, Lakers, Clippers, to win the title. But really, with with what's going on and the whole scenario and the situation of bubble, do do you see one of those three teams still winning? I, I, yeah, yeah, I do. I don't, I don't think that it's, it's a given because there's going to be a lot of uh, mental challenges, mm -hmm. you know, 
who can collectively come in as a group, um, mentally, physically, and emotionally go through all of that and still get on the court and perform, get out, come off the court, get back on the perform. You're not going home. There's no distractions. You're just there in it, you know, and that's going to be a tough thing and and not for the, the mentally tough, like, you know, a LeBron who's been to, I don't know how many finals. Yeah. Nine. Yeah. Or, 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 you know, or a guy who's been to a ton of playoffs, but it's going to get serious really quick. You know, they're talking about right. coming in and playing a few games and then you're in the playoffs. Like, yep. well, first of all, I haven't played any full court basketball in a long time. So <laughs> what does that mean physically? You know what yeah. I mean? And, and then two is like, okay, um, am, am I, am I, do I have to worry about my family? You know, do I really have to worry about that? Yeah. Um, it's almost like, hey, listen, y'all stay at home. Like, it, it's a few months. I know mm-hmm. that's hard, but yep. I don't need to be worried about that. I can't be worried about you guys' health. Yeah. If I'm just worried about myself, I can, I can sit in this room and go where I have to go, mm-hmm. but I can know that I can keep myself safe. But if y'all are coming in and out or all this other stuff is happening, and I'm on a court. I, I, that's just another thing that I, I can't have. So I'm yeah. sure guys are going to weigh that. Um, but but there may be a team that come out of the blue that's mentally tough that's that can overcome a lot. And next thing you know, you're and you know the, at star- the game like, wait, whoa, what happened? Yeah, you the stars align and everything. Mm-hmm. Like you never know. We can like, see some upsets, bro. We can. Yeah. Don't be surprised if we see some. If they're playing, and all of a sudden you look up. And the finals is, you know, the Lakers and some other team. You like, or the, I, or the finals, or finals like Memphis and Indiana, Memphis. something like that. You know, like seriously, John hey, Moran, whoa, John Moran, you John Moran be a Hall of Famer already. You know, <laughs> yeah, but I, you know, you know, I think back in the day, you can talk about well, the the more mature team will have the the better chance at mm-hmm. winning. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of these teams are just young, you know. I, yeah. I, I don't know the average age of, of the teams that will be in, but a lot of these teams are just super young. You never know how young players are going to respond in these situations. Right. So, right. again, we can see, you know, a Memphis, Indiana, and I wouldn't be surprised. Mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. wouldn't, you know. Yeah, yeah. no doubt. <laughs> no doubt. Wow, but I wanted to ask you about your kids. How's Kayla doing? I know yeah. – you know, for, for people that don't know, uh, your daughter mm-hmm. Kayla was a first-round pick of the WNBA draft. Yeah, man. Team, played Thank under you. Dawn Staley at University yeah, of South Carolina, man. won the championship. Yeah. Um, I yeah. know she's had yeah. struggles with vertigo. How is she doing? Mm-hmm. Is she back she's on the great. court going to play? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that has been uh, a, a big struggle, man. I know that she's been um, having some, some different issues with that vertigo. Um, she's actually kind of in, in physical therapy right now, okay. making okay. sure that she's healthy, uh, uh, getting her body together because, you know, they just announced that they're going to have a 22 game season. Mm-hmm. So she's excited about kind of getting in there and getting going. But once again, you know, plants, you know, running up and down the court, playing some real basketball is different from what she's kind of been doing right. lately. So, uh, but she's good, man. She's, she's a, 
she's a tough trooper, so I, I don't worry about her. You know, wow. that's, that's the last thing I worry. I, I check on her and let her know that, uh, you know, I'll come to games and I'll be there however she needs me to be there, mm-hmm. but I don't. I don't worry about her. And then my son, AJ. Yes, AJ in uh, Nicaragua. Feel, he was in Nicaragua, right? Yeah, he was, he was in yeah. a few different places. He was in Puerto Rico. He was in, He was over in Europe. Mm-hmm. He was in mm-hmm. Australia. Um, so I feel horrible for him right now because oh, there yeah. really is no structure. You know, the draft will be here. Will teams be bringing guys in? Mm-hmm. Uh, how would the G? How would the G League work? And the like, what you know, like what's gonna happen? You know what right. I mean? So he's just kind of in this kind of limbo state right now of just kind of stand in shape and whatever happens, you know, kind of going there and do his thing. But uh, I think it's teaching him a lot about you know. If there is no basketball, then what am I going to do next? Mm-hmm. And so I've kind of been throwing that question out to him as of late. You know, as you're sitting around, don't just sit there and make the best use of your time. That's right. See, exactly. You know, see what you can do right now to kind of, uh, you know, put some other stuff out there. Um, and then I never, you know, talked about my oldest daughters a lot, but I have a mm. – my oldest daughter now is is doing some teaching in Atlanta, okay. uh, and I have a grandson. I have a grandson, wow. seven year old grandson. <laughs> so seven. you know wow. that that's yeah. He he's a monster. He's actually coming out here uh, next week, so I'll be keeping him for about a week and a half. Okay, so I'm excited. I'm excited about that. He's fly, flying, flying, flying in, flying in. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, we got somebody okay. flying him to Oakland. Okay, and. Then, um, and then I'll grab him from the airport and whatnot. So he's he's good. He's I'm always excited to see him. Yes, and indeed. then I have another daughter in uh, Houston, uh, uh-huh. who who's a physical trainer. So she's kind of doing her thing. So um, you know, for me, man, it's, it's it's these kids are you know so important. What you pour into them every day and right. how you interact with them. You know, making sure they have the support through these crazy times. Yes. Uh, you know, whether they need a, an ear, you know, somebody to talk to them or what, uh, some guidance or whatever the case may be. Just try to do your best. But so, um, yeah, man, every everybody's good, man. I'm I'm blessed. Everybody kind of stayed put and got through this mess, and and hopefully we we learned a new way of being safe right now. No doubt. And uh, just yeah. a couple more questions, two more questions for no, you, then no I'll problem. let you go for no sure. Uh, you I'll know, Ca- now I know you're a football fan too, you know, and everything. <laughs> uh, again, Colin Kaepernick looks like he'll get an opportunity. My, yeah. my guy, Anthony Lynn, I got to give a shout out to Anthony Lynn, one of the yeah. great classiest people um, in, yeah. in, in around. And I've honored yeah. to know him and, and be in touch with him, but he's going to give Colin yeah. Kaepernick a chance with the Los Angeles yeah. Chargers. Should he play football, really? Or, or I mean, what, what should uh, he, or just be the person that he is? Because he's already a powerful figure. Yeah. I, first of all, if they give him an opportunity, he has to play. That, you know they I mean? Take advantage. Go ahead and play. Especially, yeah, especially play. With, a, with a brother as, as the head coach, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. <laughs> go ahead and play. You know, mm-hmm. do your best. Um, Show them that you can be professional about what you do, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and then you know continue to uh, build a platform for you to make a change in the NBA. 
You know, mm-hmm. don't don't just sit there and be a quarterback. Get into you know management or something like that. You know, see if you can push your way and bust open another door. You mm-hmm. know, don't stop being who you are, but you know, continue to build your platform, hone your skills, and be a great quarterback, mm-hmm. and and go down in history as you know one of the first ever that they blackballed and then brought back and mm-hmm. showed them that he deserved to be there anyway. That's right. You know what I'm saying? That's right. So because he so got that personnel about creating change, no. then it could be there. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, I, it's it's unfortunate, man. Like that was just so blatant. Like I, yeah. it's it still, it still hurts, and and even more so, man. Like Shannon Sharp, when when he when the Drew Brees came thing came out, Shannon Sharp laid that thing down, man, about the flag and all of that, in mm-hmm. in, a, in such an eloquent way mm-hmm. that I, I I had such an appreciation for. Hey, listen, this is not against the flag or anything like that, you know. Um, we have blacks who fought in wars and came back and was treated with with yep. with malice, you know, and hatred. Yes. You know, so that's not what it it's about. It's it's about what we're seeing right now, mm-hmm. you know, that Colin Kaepernick was speaking of and a lot of others are starting to speak to now. So I'm I'm just hoping again that this isn't a moment in time. This is truly a change in the way that you know, sports are conducted mm. and the way that they're played, the way that they're organized, you know, the rules by which we, we have it. Um, uh, so, so yeah, I hope he plays, man. I hope he goes in there and continues. It'll be interesting. That first game, what is he going to do? Is yeah. he going to kneel or what? Yeah. Oh, you know it. You know, <laughs> the entire team will. The entire team yeah, will. Exactly. <laughs> be so powerful man I, yes. I, I'll be there watching that first game in powder blue in powder blue you, you know, know the charges you know, know. <laughs> wow yes indeed and imagine if they win the Super Bowl because they have the talent imagine that they win that Super Bowl oh wow that that will that's yeah. gonna be Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? <laughs> slap them all in the face. See, that's see, that. see. That's <laughs> indeed. And well, and the one last thing I want to talk with you about, Antonio. I want to thank you for being um where they at. And and wow, it's just always it's great to re- reconnect and everything. And, yeah, and always sure, always great to work sure. with you. And you know, when I was producing you on radio and everything for sure. Thank and you, um, sure. but. But yeah, you wanted to talk about your business, right? I remember you said, yeah, yeah mentioned yeah, your business. Yeah. That- you know, I, I um, a few years ago, I jumped into transportation and logistics. Okay. And so um, I still, I don't know what was wrong with me when I when I took on this this challenge, but um, even in this space of you know trucking and warehousing and all of this different stuff you still feel the color of your skin, you know, you right. feel it, you know, yep. Yep. and it's, it's so crazy that, um, you know, obviously I have the means and the resources to start from scratch and kind of build a business. Uh, and I know I've been handed some very expensive, uh, uh, um, lessons as mm-hmm. I've gone through this mm-hmm. process. Um, but I, I just can't imagine the guy who saved a little bit of money, bought a truck, and you know is going to start a business 
it, it, it's it's almost impossible. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. almost impossible, bro. But um, it's crazy that I'm able to get into rooms with, you know, some of the major players and talk about, you know, uh, minorities being in this space and, yes. and, and what yes. we can do to create, you know, kind of, uh, opportunities, uh, equal opportunities um, for some of the the, the guys who uh, are struggling to grow their fleet or grow their grow their business. Um, so I think a part of the reason I was led here was to to do that, to be that voice in this vertical to talk about you know the the minority because yes. if, if we look at what's going on now as with any any of this it's uh, when you look at the major players in any vertical i mean you don't see many blacks up at the top mm-hmm. um, right. and i don't think we have any at the top of this industry not like that yeah uh, so you know i i think it's bigger than what i'm doing here i've learned a lot man you know, kind of trucking and transportation and logistics has, has kind of been a crazy deal dealing with, you know, actual trucks and trailers and people and weather and tires and engines and clutches. And then, you know, I can go on and insurance, <laughs> and fuel costs. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's crazy, man. But, you know, definitely making some strides. And, and I think the the thing that I would say is there's so many guys out here that have either been in, you know, um, transportation and logistics or in it now. And that's kind of been my mission as of late is to find out guys who are in and Mm -hmm. see if we can kind of come together and create a voice where we can go out and speak for, you know, maybe those who don't, don't have a, a, a voice in this vertical. Wow. So I'm I'm in the process of making sure. Well, one, let's let's just be real. I don't want this to be a hobby. You know, obviously yeah. I want to make yeah. some money. Yeah. But you know, I think the bigger play and bigger picture here is just just to be a voice for change in this vertical. So I'm going to start speaking more to that over these next few weeks and months, and at the same time, hopefully get get some opportunities that I can share you know, with my brothers and sisters out there. So we'll see what happens. I'll, I'll keep you abreast of what's going yes. on, man. You Please I mean? do. Now is the time. <clears throat> we'll now is the time for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. For sure, but, for sure. but Mr. Antonio Davis, I, I thank you for the honor and privilege to, nah, to speak with you, you on, on where they at. And thank you for your insight and, and just, and just your perspective. I appreciate you. All good. All good, man. God bless. And thank you. Thank you all for listening to the 24th edition of Where They At. And wow, it's great to have Antonio Davis on the show. As I mentioned earlier, I consider him a friend. He's one of the classiest individuals I've ever been around. And he's someone that really has such a broad and insightful perspective on life and learned a lot talking with him for sure. So if you like what you heard, make sure that you subscribe and or follow on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher. Also, I'm part of the Catropolis Radio Network as well, where my podcast is streamed. Make sure to subscribe and follow, and also rate. Please rate as well as more 
riveting episodes of where they at will follow those individuals that i interview the individuals that exude excellence they set the tone they make this show riveting and also if you like the music that you hear make sure you go to my website which is n-a-b-a-t-e-i-s-l-e-s nabateisles.com so you can hear music from my album eclectic excursions you can be able to stream and or download those tracks and be able to delve into my music as well so i'll be back with episode 25 that's a milestone i can't believe that already we're at that point and it's been a blessing to be able to feature as i mentioned earlier just wonderful prolific individuals that have really made an impact not just on the field but off the field can't wait to release episode 25 very soon my name is Nabateals, and be safe, be blessed, stay woke, be aware. Black Lives Matter. Thank you. God bless. Mm-hmm.